Welcome to the newsletter podcast for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter. Glad to have you along. A summary, if you will, of episodes 184 and 185 that were released this past week on Tuesday, April 12th. Episode 184 came out in which we talked about spring houseplant care with a twist. We were talking with Rafael Delalo. He is the proprietor of OhioTropics.com. He is growing houseplants in Cleveland, Ohio. I bet there are some tricks to growing houseplants in Cleveland, Ohio, and we found that out. So if you live in a cold climate and you're having problems with your houseplants, it'll pay to listen to episode 184. But I had to take a scenic bypass with him when he mentioned he was growing tropical plants in Ohio outdoors. How is that possible? He told us. Well, here's our first scenic bypass of the day. What sort of success have you had growing tropical plants outdoors in Ohio? Oh, gosh, I, it's wonderful. And it's about to get easier for me because um, I'm about to get a greenhouse this spring, which I'm super, super excited about. I mean, I've overwintered some stuff, you know, indoors, some stuff I treat like annuals and then other things come back. And some people may be shocked to know that you can grow, uh, th there's a hardy banana plant that you can grow in all 50 states if you have protection. Where I live, you would need some winter protection. And I get lazy though. And so one, one year I planted this hardy banana, it's Musa Bastu is the, the botanical name. And it came back the second season and it, it got maybe nine or 10 feet tall, it was spectacular. But I think the area that I planted it in, um, it, you know, we have really bad, heavy clay soil here. Um, and we had a particularly wet winter, that second winter that I was trying to overwinter it, so it rotted. Um, but I am going to try again this year, put it in a better location. And, you know, if, if you if you have good, well-drained soil that's not staying super wet in the winter and you mulch it in, in my area, it will come back. And it's really cool to be able to grow something like that in, in my area as well. Cleveland is in which USDA zone? So if you look on a map, there's there's a little strip right along the lake that's supposedly 6A. Otherwise, I, I, I'm not quite sure I believe that, though. <laughs> uh, where I am, it might be bordering 6A or 5B. So it really depends on, on where you live within the city. All gardening is local, as I used to say a lot. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. And, and as you point out, every yard has a microclimate where you can do a little zone extending and try out different oh, yeah. plants. I would think in your situation, trying to grow basically what we would grow outdoors here in USDA Zone 9, outdoors there, you're uh, doing a lot of work in, in pots, I would think. I am. I, I do a lot of a lot of things in pots. And like I said, it'll be easier once I get my greenhouse. I could just shove them in the greenhouse. Speaking about the microclimates in our old house before we moved, um, I had a couple, I have a couple more examples that, that, you know, might be very interesting for whoever's listening. And, you know, the importance of, of microclimates and, and really the power of them, if you can create one, a suitable one. So I actually had elephant ears. So, you know, just a plain old Colocasia esculenta or taro root. And, I planted them in in my backyard in my old house in the corner. So there was a nice protected corner next to my where our air conditioner was. And the house itself was aluminum siding, but the bottom of the house had a strip of, of the base of the house was brick. And so I planted it right in that corner. 
right next to the brick. And those things came back every single year with no added protection or mulch. And so I got this gigantic, huge clump of these colocasias that came back every year. And I was shocked. But, you know, that's the microclimate and the soil there. You know, it, it dried out, you know, sufficiently and it, it didn't stay wet in the winter. And it, it just, you know, next to the brick, I'm sure that helped with, you know, maintaining a, a warmer microclimate. And then one year I even had dahlias come back in, in a raised bed, uh, not a raised bed, but uh, just in a, in a bed that I had in, in the front of uh, front garden that, that I had. And that, that was a little bit mulched um, at the time, but, you know, we have very unpredictable weather here. So it, 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 it can vary drastically, but you, you can be surprised what you can grow if you have a good microclimate. Were those elephants ears growing on a, a southern or a western exposure? So those were actually facing, so that side of the house was facing east. Mm. Yeah, so they would get some morning sun and, you know, midday sun and then nothing after that. All right, because here in California, if you're growing elephant's ears, and we can grow them outdoors here, you're growing them on the north side of the house because they need a lot of shade here. Yeah, and I find that they can tolerate a lot of sun as long as you keep them well watered. Also in episode 184, we talked with America's favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, and she had a special tip and trick for controlling pests in her plants using nothing but her pruning shears and loppers. How does that control pests? You're going to have to listen to find out. That's in episode 184 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Moving on to Friday's release, episode 185 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, we talked with some very knowledgeable people, including the author of the book, Grow Now. That would be Emily Murphy. It's really an excellent book about, shall we say, gardening more gently with nature and letting nature feed the plants and take care of the plants. And it's certainly a very doable goal. Again, the name of the book is Grow Now by Emily Murphy. In the book, she talked about the types of mulch to use on your garden. Who knew mulch was so specific? It depends on what you're growing. Here she is. So I would imagine, uh, since you talked about lasagna gardening, that this compost layer goes on top of your soil, and then you're covering that with some sort of mulch in order to keep, uh, say, flying weed seeds from germinating in that very fine compost. Absolutely. And the type of mulch you use depends upon what you plan to grow. So we were talking about rules of thumb earlier. The typical rule of thumb with the mulch you choose is is based upon what it is you're growing. So if you're if you're growing trees and shrubs, particularly native trees and shrubs, the idea is to mulch with uh, materials that are similar to that are you know mulch that's made up of materials that are similar to the plants you're growing. And so it can be more woody debris, leaves, as as the primary source of of compost making or mulch making. But with a veggie garden, you want to use a compost that is, or for a veggie garden, when you're prepping for a veggie garden, you want to use a a compost that is more in keeping with the plants you're going to grow again. So a compost that's been made out of kitchen scraps, for instance, or kitchen scraps and leaves and other organic materials that have a compost that has been fed kitchen scraps. 
And I, I think that's a pretty easy uh, parallel to follow when you're considering, well, which type of mulch should I use? And that's one place to start. And of course, whatever's local is also a really good place to start. Yeah, if it, if, exactly. If, yes. If you, if you can source it in your own garden or your neighbor's garden, if your neighbor has leaves, wonderful. Use those leaves. Which is why I use the oak leaves that fall every November and December in my neighborhood and, and grind them up either with my mower or with a string trimmer and place those on top of my raised beds for the winter. But before I put those leaves down, I put down a layer of worm castings directly on top of the soil and then top that with the oak leaf uh, mulch that's been uh, ground up. And you talk about in your book, too, in the book Grow Now, you talk about vermicomposting, basically making that compost you're talking about via the worms with a worm bin and also great instructions on even starting a compost pile as well. Also in episode 185, Emily Murphy told us how she got the bug to write and what it took for her to become a writer. And we should point out that the pistil you refer to, the P-I-S-T-I-L, is the female part of the flower. That's right. That's right. That was the play on words. My husband and I, years ago, when I started my blog, that's how I started. I thought, okay, I want to write a book one day. And to write a book, I have to start writing. And I, I started my blog for that reason, to give, to give myself a, a, a challenge or the goal of, of writing something every week so I could improve as a writer. We, we were trying to think of, okay, if I were to have a blog, what would I name my blog? And it went back to, and I talk about this in my bio in my website, it went back to something my mom would say that I can't say on your podcast. It was uh, bleep or get off the pot. Yeah. And it was her, her way of saying, you know, if you're going to do something, just do it, just get to it. And I had been thinking about really wanting to return to growing. I, you know, I'd studied uh, ethnobotany, botany, as I mentioned earlier, but I spent a number of years after college teaching and I was a classroom teacher. And I, I reached a point where I really missed working with plants more directly. I loved being a teacher. I learned so much from it. I think my years as a classroom teacher, um, I taught everything from eighth grade math and science to multi-age classrooms. But I, I, I think that those years as a teacher uh, really helped me take so many ideas and distill them into one book. And Grow Now is so full of a wide range of ideas and not just the how to, but the why to. And I think that does come from my my background. But um, but there was a time when I realized it wasn't enough and I'd had to get back to the plant world. And that's when I started my blog and I studied garden design. I went to the California School of Garden Design in the foothills uh, near Auburn, California, and learned so much there. And that was really my launch point. But past the pistol was my way of saying, okay, get to it, get to it now. If you're going to do it, you really want to do it, just do it and start somewhere. And this is how it evolved. Uh, Grow what you love and pass it on. So grow what you love and pass the pistol, pass the flower and all that you grow and share it with others. Again, that's Emily Murphy in episode 185. That was actually the third of three chats we had with Emily about her book, Grow Now. Also in episode 185, we talked with our favorite Sacramento County Master Gardener, Pam Bone. And Pam has some pretty serious thoughts about trying to grow fruit trees in your backyard. She doesn't want them anywhere near your lawn. 
Time for a quick tip. We're at Pam Bone's house here in Sacramento County. She has loads of fruit trees and flowering shrubs and a lawn. And Pam, I've noticed one thing that I notice how much you love fruit trees, but there are no fruit trees in the lawn. That's because fruit trees and lawns are not compatible at all. You need to keep your fruit trees away from the lawn. Actually, some of mine are fairly close. They're within five or six feet of it. But the crown of the tree is going to be high and dry and it's not going to get wet. They're going to have their own irrigation system as well, which is a drip irrigation system. And the lawn then can be watered a little bit more frequently and the fruit trees not as much. And of course, the lawn is going to compete for water and nutrients too with any fruit tree that's established in it. And so it's a good idea if if, if that's the only place you have, if that's the only sunny area you have is to give it a, a, a wide berth, have about a six foot wide diameter clearance between the existing lawn and the fruit tree, mulch around it out to six feet or so, so that the roots of the fruit tree have a chance to develop. And another reason for doing that is the mower blight. Uh, people use their string trimmers or their mowers uh, up next to landscape or fruit trees, either one, and unfortunately cause devastating damage to the tree. So I always say that if you have any kind of tree in your uh uh, lawn area that you definitely keep a good clear spot like you said putting mulch down or whatever uh, is really important all right lawns versus fruit trees pam bone thanks for the quick tip thank you fred that's good advice from pam bone about fruit trees versus lawns you can find out more when you listen to episode 185 of the garden basics with farmer fred podcast don't forget, you can find the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And that includes the home site for the Garden Basics podcast, gardenbasics.net, gardenbasics.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have more garden tips in this issue of the Garden Basics Beyond the Basics newsletter. Give it a read after you've given us a listen. Thank you.